I know for many of us, our, our hearts are heavy um, with the, well, it's kind of a mixed emotion, actually, heavy hearts, but also just thankful that uh, Dan is home to be with the Lord. Um, and uh, I would just encourage you, uh, just having gone through that just a year ago, to, to reach out to Betsy and the kids and, and to, to not think that you're going to be in the way. Uh, she's going to need the love and support from her church family and the kids will. I just encourage you to, when it enters your mind, to go ahead and reach out in some capacity. It, w- it would mean the world. Um, let's pray before we get started. Thank you, God, for today that we can come here this morning and learn from you. I pray that the, um, the words of, of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, God, would be acceptable in your sight and that you would, your spirit would instruct us and teach us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are uh, in the middle of a week two in a series on home improvements. Uh, you see the display up here, building God's ideals into our, our broken families. And um, as, you, as you know, if you were here last week, that uh, Pastor Tim, Pastor Joel, and I are kind of tag-teaming this uh, series together, each of us taking two weeks. And last week, um, when, we, when we talk about why this series, our goal is to give vision, help, and hope um, for families marriages and parents. So you'll see we'll be talking two weeks on each one of these, one of these topics. Um, last week, sorry, there's that number sliding down there. That is the number. We're, we're doing something different, and that is that we're going to be speaking for a shorter period of time, and then we'll be having a roundtable discussion. So during the, the messages, you're free to text, and to text this number, any questions you might have, and you can do it during the message of something, just, uh, something that I say today, you're like, eh, I don't know, I like to talk more about that, um, or you have a reaction to it or comment, text the questions to this number, and then our moderator, Shirley Mass, will share them. You can also text them right afterwards, and we'll have that roundtable discussion together. We're going to be doing this each week. Um, last week, just uh, when we talked about, Tim shared the, asked the question, why family? And he kind of talked about the, the important, the purpose of the family is to impress upon children a love for God. And he took us through several scriptures that talked about be fruitful and multiply and impress these upon your children. Um, and that's the ideal. And what we want to do with each one of these topics is the first week say, okay, here's the ideal. But the second week say, okay, but what's the, what's the reality of it? And so today I want to kind of walk you through, um, this is the ideal to impress upon children a love for God. But what is the ideal? There are two starting uh, points that I'd like us to, to realize the reality, and you'll see them up there. The first one is that all families are dysfunctional due to sin. And none of us are immune to the dysfunctionality that takes place in a family. And we want to understand that right from the get-go. The second one is that there are many components to what makes up a family. Certainly, you have the idea of a nuclear family, a mom and a dad together with the children, well, we also have, I always forget to do this, but I've got to put these on. We also have single-parent homes, whether they're single parents through death or divorce or never married, um, individuals who never marry, couples who can't have children, couples who do not want to have children, children who rebel um, in the home and, and perhaps leave the home, uh, people that consider themselves empty nesters where the children are actually moved out of the home, and then people, extended family, aunts and uncles, and also, of course, grandparenting. So you have all these components that are part of the family. And you also have the reality that all, because of sin, all of our families are scarred and are, are truly dysfunctional. 
So how do we impress upon our children a love for God with these two realities? What I'd like us to do is start by looking at the scriptures and to, to look at the model family, the family in scripture that had it all together and didn't have any sin. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Hezekiah 3.12. And uh, some of you are smiling and some of you are like, okay, I think he's tricking me. Some of you, I'm sorry that you started opening your Bible and flipping through. There is no Hezekiah 3.12 because there is no family in Scripture that had it all together. If you look through the Scriptures, you'll see that they were, if I can say this, they were pretty messed up. You know, the dysfunction, this dysfunction of uh, because of sin, the dysfunction was rampant. And you take any one of them, people that we look up to, people that are considered in Hebrews as in the hall of faith, and man, oh man, when it comes to families, the, uh, you know, we're in good company. Um, so, so what do we do then? What I'd like us to do is kind of zoom in on just one of those people. And I'd like us to look just a little bit at King David and uh, find out how we can take the, the ideal of impressing upon children a love for God and meshing it with the reality that exists not only because of sin, but because of the many, many different components that make up what many of us call family. Um, so if you, uh, you don't need to turn here, but um, when we're looking at the life of David, I want to just share with you some of the dysfunctionality that existed in his home. First of all, he was, as we know, he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. Many times he was an absentee father. Some of that's because of work. <laughs> some of that's because of uh, just, just who he was. Um, in fact, he was considered a man of blood, and God wouldn't even let him build a temple because he had so much bloodshed on his hands. We know that his daughter... Now, Tamar was raped by his stepson, Ammon, and the scriptures record that David didn't do anything about it, and that made Absalom angry. So when Absalom had the right time, his other son, the timing was right, he went and murdered Ammon, and David didn't do anything about that. In fact, when there was a time when Absalom was to be reunited with David, David didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't want to see him. That caused Absalom to be angry at his dad, and in time, try to overthrow his kingdom. And in the course of that, lost his life. So you just look at that quick, that just that one part of it, you say, wow, there's, there's adultery, there's murder, there's, you know, stepchildren violating stepchildren, there's dad that not do anything about it, there's anger, there's I'm going to kill my brother. I mean, it's all kinds of dysfunctionality. And so what amazes me when you look at the life of David is this verse up here that yet it's recorded of David that he shepherded with integrity. And we also know that David is considered a man after God's own heart. And I think to myself, okay, now I'm confused because how can David be a man after God's own heart and how can it be recorded of him that he shepherded, that he led with integrity when all these things went on in his family? I would think it would be said, hey, uh, for those of you in future generations, when you're studying, you know, this this." this thing you're going to call the Bible, and you're looking at people, stay away from David, okay? Because he was screwed up, it was messed up, and you don't want to find anything in here that's redeemable. But yet that's not how the scriptures um, record the life of David. A man after God's own heart, a man who you see here in Psalm 78 um, that led with integrity. How is this possible? Psalm 139, if you would turn there with me. I'm going to look just very quickly a little bit at one of David's songs. And I think in here we will find maybe, I'm going to call it the, the secret 
to how David could take, you know, God could take someone like David and do something beautiful with his life. Just a real quick overview of Psalm 139. It starts, in, and if you, have a, if you don't have your Bibles, there's pew Bibles. You're welcome to take one. And, uh, and actually, uh, if you take the Bible and you close it and you open it in the middle, you'll be right in the Psalms. And we're looking at Psalm 139. And if you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please take that Bible. Verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Now, you can read this and you can be scared. And you can say, whoa, God sees everything. God knows everything. This kind of freaks me out. Or you can look at that and you can be comforted and say, wow, there's, there's God knows everything. There's nothing that's hidden from him. There's nothing that surprises him. He never says, oh, I, man, I wish I had been paying attention. I didn't realize you were going to say that or do that. He sees and he knows everything. And it goes on and it says, starting in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, well, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, of, in the depths you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Not only does God know everything, but he sees everything, and he's in all places at all times. And again, that could scare us, or that can offer us comfort, and that's the kind of God that we have. And then in verse 13, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All their days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God does not make mistakes. And David's just sharing how everything about who he is. God is, I love this. He says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And God wasn't on vacation. God wasn't taking a lunch break when we were born. God knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew, for whatever reason, he brought a, he needed a Greg into this world. And when he created Greg, he realized that there would be the, the dysfunctionality of sin that would, that would come into who Greg is. And yet God formed everything. It says that, all the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. Everything ever happens in Greg's life, in my life, in your life, God was fully aware of. And he still, he still wanted a Greg. He still wanted a Chuck Holt. With all the dysfunctionality of who I am, God still said, but that's what I want. And what an amazing God. And I think David understood that, which led to David, the only response when you realize that God sees everything, and God knows everything, and God plans and ordains everything that happens, the only response is at the end. I'll call it David's search and rescue plan. He says, all the way down to verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, they say it's not the mistakes that define you, it's what you do with them. And David had made his share of mistakes. But here was the secret where he could say, and look at these words, search me, O God. Know my heart. 
Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's why it's said of David that he was a man after God's own heart and he shepherded, he led with integrity. Because in the midst of the dysfunctionality of who he was and how he parented and what were the dynamics of his family, in the midst of all that, he said, God, you, you know me, you created me, you ordained every day of my existence, and so I'm asking you to com- come in and take control. What can we learn from David and his family? Three things. One is that sin has crept into every family blurring the ideal. Sin has crept in, and it blurs the ideal. Two is that God can and will still work despite our sinful families. Somehow, in the midst of all the mistakes that David made, God still used him to do incredible things. And God said, this is somebody that his heart beats after mine. And then three, our family situations can be redeemed. Sin has crept into every family blurring the ideal. God can and still use us to, um, despite our sinful families. And our family situations can be redeemed. There is hope for us. If you are here this morning and you say as a dad, I have messed up. I did not parent. And you can think of specific things that you have done as a dad that you wouldn't want them to show up on the screen. That can be redeemed. If you're a mom here, and the same thing, you're like, I didn't always parent the way I should. I didn't respond to one another in the way we should, or our children. That can be redeemed. If you have kids that have rebelled and have left and have turned their backs on God and on you, that can be redeemed. Whatever situation that you find yourselves in, there is hope for us. A couple of verses I'd just like to put on the screen here for us to all, all read together is Philippians 1.6, that we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work into us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's God's promise, that he will continue to do his work in us. So our response is, then search me and know me, God. Test me. Try my thoughts. See if there's anything wicked in me so that I can be led in the way everlasting. The other one in Philippians from Paul is, uh, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I love this because that means that everything that is going on in my life, God knows about it and he's excited about it. Now, I don't understand all that, how God could be excited about some things that I'm not too excited about. But what he knows is it's an opportunity for me to kneel down before him. And so crisis and problems and difficulties and times when you feel failure as a dad and failure as a mom or failure as a, as a teenager or a child, failure as an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, those failures are opportunities for us to say, you know what, but God desires to work. And not only is it something he wants it's, um, in us to will and to act, but it's something that he is excited about and pleased about. So what? God creates beauty out of brokenness. I don't want you just to see that and say, okay, that that was cute, Chuck. You did pretty good to come up with that little phrase. But I want it to sink down past your head into your heart. Because I've had to hold on to this. Because I haven't always been the model dad. 
There are things that my kids could remember that I think, man, I wish they hadn't had to experience that because I was a dysfunctional dad. I have to hold on to that for me because I have children who have rebelled and have left the home. And I have, to, I have to hold on to this fact, and I have to get it to leave my head and go down to my heart, that God creates beauty out of brokenness. In fact, I would say it's his specialty. There's nothing that has happened in my family. There's nothing that has happened in your family that God wasn't already aware of. And we can take the ideal and we can give up and say, well, that's just not going to happen. You don't understand. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I went through. You don't know who I am. You don't know the mistakes I had or whatever you say. Or you can say, but God can make something beautiful out of the brokenness. That is really the hope. So some takeaways then. The first one is that we need to represent who God is in our families. Whether you're a mom and a dad home, whether you're a single parent home, single mom or single dad, whether you're a grandparent raising grandkids or still raising your adult kids, our job is to represent who God is. And God is somebody that wants to make beauty out of brokenness. The second one is this. We need to hold on to God's redeeming work when our children rebel. When our kids don't follow God the way we want. When one of our spouses do not follow God. When one of our spouses leave us. Or when somebody passes away, as in Betsy's situation, now having to raise her two kids. Whatever happens because of the, the sin and the dysfunction that's created from that, we hold on to God's redeeming work because he can make beauty out of brokenness. The third one is surrogate parents are vital. If you, and I'm not minimizing the pain of not having children, you know, trust me, my wife and I went through that when, when we were married. You know all of our kids are adopted. And uh, if you can't have children or your children are gone, empty nesters, or you never got married, so you do not have children. Surrogate parents are vital. I wish that I had time this morning to share with you the brokenness that exists in homes where kids do not have parents. And we have not only an opportunity, but a responsibility, I could argue a mandate from God to come alongside and, and be surrogate parents for them. And then the fourth one, the comfort is we are all part of God's family. And God is a father to the fatherless. And though mother and father might forsake, God never will. And the comfort of being part of the family of God and having God as our father. God can take brokenness and create beauty out of it. That's the reality, is that sin is present. Every family is dysfunctional. And there's all kinds of components of these families that we have to think about that exist today. We look at the life of David and we say, wow, there's a man that really screwed up in many ways in creating an ideal family. But yet he was a man after God's own heart. 
Sin has crept into every family, but God can and still work, and our family situations can be redeemed. Therefore, whatever is going on, we must represent who God is. Also, we need to hold on to God's redeeming work. Surrogate parents are vital, and we're all part of God's family. What we'd like to do now is transition, have Tim come up, and you can text your questions if you have any. Uh, to the number, I think it's still on the bottom there. Did I, oh, I, I missed number five. Yeah, well, that's kind of, we're all in this together, right? <laughs> right? I mean, we all, we all are in this together. And your pain is my pain. You know, your trials are my trials. And we don't live in isolation. We weren't created to be that way. And we need each other. Okay. this one better. Okay, well, there we go. They were going to try to give me a lapel mic so I could, you know, gesture and all that good stuff. We don't want you to gesture. (laughs) Evidently not. (laughs) Um, We do have some good questions coming in, but first of all, Tim, do you want to give us a a response? Yes, sermon number two, real quick. All right, this is where it used to be, right? Yeah, visiting preacher comes in. feel free to still text in questions if you'd like. Yeah, in other words, don't need to pay attention to what I have to say right now, okay? Um, Hey, good thoughts, Chuck. Thanks for sharing that briefly. Um, Appreciated the push back on some of the things from last week. Last week, some of you talked to me about, man, that's ideal, that's great, but hey, we live in a real world, and this is what's going on. What about this? What about this? What about that? So I appreciate you getting into that this week. Um, Some quick hitters for me was the reality that um, sin has kind of marred us and marked us, but hasn't completely ruined us, um, and that's an important reality uh, for us. Um, So yeah, I appreciated the big picture, um, and I... David's piece is a struggle for me <laughs> um, because he was such an absentee father during those moments that you brought up, and yet he was a man after God's own heart, which is both reassuring and troubling, I guess, at the same time, and I don't know which it is. But to me, I find some great reassurance in that, um, but also a great challenge uh, overall. So uh, that's my, my quick two cents. Thanks. Okay. What do we think? Good? Nope. We're going to go this way. All right, then. Um, yeah, you can f- still feel free to text in your questions, or like we talked about last Sunday, if you're not of the texting generation, you can write it down with a pen on a piece of paper and hand it to the nearest 20-something sitting next to you, and, and they can text it in test. Um, you know, Chuck, I really appreciated the way you laid out, okay, here's the brokenness, and now what can we do about that, and how can we respond to that? And so a lot of our questions are related to that. You mentioned, oh, I still wanted the points to be there, but they're gone, but they're meant, oh, that's okay. Oh. No, it's all good. It's all good. But you mentioned something about representing God um, to our children. Yes, representing who God is. Excellent. Um, Give us some specifics. Give us some, okay, if I'm going home this week and wanting to represent God well, what might be some ways I could do that? Can we make that even more practical? Well, I think in 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 a safe way, and how I respond and react to the struggles of life, whether it's getting a flat tire on the way home, or, you know, somebody pulls out in front of you, and now you have to wait for the traffic light, or, you know, those kind of things to represent God in, in, every, 
And the kids are watching. And so in every way I act and react. In a more extreme way, I would say that, you know, being able to show tough love to a kid when they manipulate or whine or rebel, and then the easy thing is to give in, but that's not who God is, to say, I love you enough that I'm going to stand my ground. And regardless of how you respond to me, if I go whine to God, he doesn't say, fine then, all right, forget it. He stands his ground. And so as parents, we have to stand on truth even when it's difficult to do. So I would say in both of those things, those are some practical examples. Yeah, a quick piece to add. This is um, coming off the Deuteronomy 6 passage from last week that we talked about. I really love the, the outline of that because it, it helps me. So as a dad and, and, and mom as well, but there are quick four ways, four kind of times in the day that I tick off in my brain from that passage at a very practical level to think, what do I do during this time with my children? Or if you're not in children, you, you can kind of push this into your own life. But in Deuteronomy 6, it talks about talk about these things with your kids when they get up in the morning. So I think in my day, when my kids get up, what are they hearing from me about the day and about what is true today? So when kids wake up, what are they hearing? When you sit at home, and when do you sit at home except to eat, right? I mean, that is a primary time for us as dads and moms and all that, to have a moment with kids is when we eat. And it may not be a family dinner, sitting down, all eating. It may be snack time, okay? I mean, I understand family time is all different, but a family meal or snack time, when kids stop all the activity and sit down for a minute to eat, here's a moment just to engage with a child. Um, on the road, when they travel, when you're driving them somewhere, if they're still under your care, if they're not, then when they are driving you somewhere, right? But as they travel, there's a moment in the going, in between this place and that place, there's a moment in there where I have a chance to impact my kid, and then finally when they go to bed at night, what is the last thing that I have to say to my kid when they go to bed at night? So for me as a dad, I just think through practically four things. Hey, when they get up, what kind of word am I giving them when we're eating, if I can share a thought with them, engage them at all, when we're going somewhere and we're traveling, besides trying to keep the van under control, is there anything more that we have to say, and then finally going to bed, you know, what's the final word? Uh, with them at night. So those are just practical ways I think about how to kind of push this out on a so, day-to-day basis. So when you're basis. traveling, you shouldn't, so you shouldn't say, don't make me pull over this car and come back there and deal with you. <laughs> right? I just... We're going to have a Bible study real <laughs> quick right. if you're going to have to keep doing this thing, I'm telling you. Yeah. That's good. Well, you know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I think... I think what you gave us was something really practical. Okay, I can do that. That's, that's an easy sort of, you know, those are simple steps. Now, this might be a little trickier. Okay, because what you laid out was kind of, okay, ideal situation, oh, ideal yeah, yeah, parenting. Yeah. It happens okay. all the time. Exactly. Every day. Because we all do that ideal parenting thing, right. right? Okay. But, and it probably has never happened to anybody in here, okay? But it's happened already to me that I have not parented the way that I wanted to. I got up. I yelled at my kids. They didn't deserve it. How do I redeem that? You talked about redemption. And so the question is, okay, how do I, how do I represent God well when I fail, just in case that might happen to somebody in here sometime this week? Well, we, I was going to say, we need a new moderator. I had oh. no idea that she did that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll let that go. That's a I would say, Don't let anybody moderate. I go back to what I call in Psalm 139, the search and rescue, where David just, you know, as, as parents, we have to constantly go to God and say, God, I can't do this without you. I fail, I mess up, I need you to search me, I need you to test me. He already knows it anyway, and, and, and he's not surprised. He's not like, whoa, don't pray to me today. You know, I didn't see that one coming. And I think it's constantly going, getting on our knees as parents and say, I cannot even begin to do the ideal 
on my own, that I, I need God. And maybe that sounds just a cliche, superficial, but as, as parents and as adults, daily getting on our knees and saying, God, I cannot do this without you. Absolutely. Uh, not that this has ever happened to me, but I've known of a father one time who, um, living in New Holland in his home with his daughters <laughs> and, and his wife, okay? And I remember one, one day, absolutely, I came in, and I didn't even know what the issue was, but I was so upset, okay? I was so upset that I, I, I had asked the, the girls, and they were much younger, not to do something, and they were, they were preschool, and I was, I was so upset. And I came in, and they were, they were in the tub, I think, and they were, I think it was just the issue of water on the floor, okay, taking a, taking a bath, and I'm like, this is not hard like we have covered this before and there's water all over the place and I I slammed the side of the tub in my anger because I knew it would be bad to hit them and I needed to hit something so it was the tub and it made this really loud um, scary noise and so you know I, I'm like I need to leave the room I need to walk away now I need to do this and so Jen comes in because that's kind of how it works when you're able to have two parents at home one gets angry and they leave the other one comes in to kind of make up for what you did wrong and and I get in there, and she gets in there, and my one daughter was like, why did daddy go, boom, on the tub? You know, what, what's up with that? And so here's what I had to do. I had to just come back. It's simple, right? You just come back. And I said, girls, I'm sorry. I mean, I, you just have to apologize. You just own it because it happened. Um, and that's what I do even to this, to this day. You know, even <laughs> recently, the same story, just different circumstances change. But I have to, when that happens and I'm getting angry, I've just got to come back and own it and just apologize. Just flat out own it apologize. This is what I did. It made you feel this way, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have acted that way. We just got to own it. And I would just piggyback on that, and point five is we're in this together, and sometimes, and for men, it's very hard to do this. Sometimes we got to go to somebody and say, I can't do this. I need help. And I remember one of the darkest days for me as a dad, maybe my kids don't feel this way, was a day when I really blew it, and I had, and I had to call Tim, and it was like 1 a.m. in the morning. I don't know what it was, and I said, we, we need to meet. Because I just, I just blew it royally as a parent. And, um, but we, we were in this together. And we have to create a, a culture where we can confess that to one another. Where we can say, I need your help. And judgment is not going to be there. But walking alongside each other in this, in this journey that we have together, we have to not be afraid to, to do that. Because there's times when we apologize to our children. There's times when we need outside help. And that's what the family got us for. Well, I love the fact that, you know, you guys are answering the questions as they're coming in before I ask them. They're good like that. <laughs> Here's another one that's a little difficult. Um, how, okay, so we're talking now an older child or at least a teen, you know, someone, one that's old enough to like really rebel and turn. Um, how do we help them best? The child who has turned from their faith, turned, maybe, maybe cut ties with you as a parent. How do we best help the ones that have rejected the faith? Do you want to speak to that? Um, I'm dealing with that right now. And I can tell you that I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Because you know, I, you know, I just, there's this conflict inside me. But to me, it's I, I'm not going to enable you and allow you to do that. But when you're ready to change, I'm trying to represent God. I will be the first one in line that tries to help you pick up the pieces. But um, for me, I mean, but I, you know, I go back and forth on that. Is should, I, should I just do this? Should I do that? I don't know. You can get advice from everybody and get both sides of it. But for me, it's trying to say, okay, how does God respond to me when I'm rebelling? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he always chases me and solves it. Sometimes he says, 
I'll let you do your thing, but when you turn around, I will be right there. Be the first one to love you unconditionally and to care for you. So that, that's kind of how I'm doing it in my own life, um, but we'll see. Well, and it fits in well. You know, you're talking about representing who God is, but also that we're all in this together. Yeah. And, and when you, you know, when they have a background where you've apologized for smack in the tub, you know, where it's okay to come back and ask forgiveness, it maybe makes it safer to come back. Yeah. Um, the scripture talks about that we're not to exasperate our children. This is kind of a follow-up on the, you know, dealing with the struggles. What do we do when the gospel or the church or things about God in general exasperate our children? Some of that you've already addressed. I don't know if you want to follow up on that more, or do you kind of feel like that's what been kind of, Can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Well. Or whoever else. You can text really, really fast. <laughs> you mean when, when think so, people do stuff in churches that our children are bothered by? Okay, let's, let's, say, let's go with this. Let's say you've had a really difficult time in the church. You know, churches go through struggles. Let's say the child's watching this, and it gets a little disillusioned by that, and rightly so. Or it could also be just, you know, simply where maybe a parent's holding up a standard and the child is really frustrated by that. And is there a way to respond to that? You're getting some follow-up on that question. I am. Yay for fast texting. Okay. Or, or the child that just won't respond to God becomes angry. Is there, you know, I, I think as a parent, I want to fix that. Oh, absolutely. I and I think every, the heart of every parent wants that because we want what's best for our kids. And this is, this is what we think is best for our kids and it's not happening. Um, and I think taking it theologically quick, God, and I'll bring this up later too in, in the parenting series, but in Isaiah 1, God makes this really profound comment about how he, he's speaking to the nation of Israel. He says, I raised you and you rebelled against me. Pretty powerful comment from God, uh, picturing himself as a father and saying, I mean, you have to ask the question, does it get any better than God being the father? I mean, <laughs> no, okay? So the perfect father raised children who rebelled against him. Okay. So it may not be totally your fault for your children's choices for what they do in, in the rebellion. So what do we do? I think it, it's kind of like the prodigal son story where the, the father didn't go and chase the prodigal son who went off into the pigsty and had partied and all that. He didn't go chase him. But when he was ready to come home... He embraced him. It was that grace that says, hey, when you're ready to turn, because we're raising independent thinking people. My prof in seminary used to say, I have a couple goals for my kids and three of them. One is to be responsible for their actions. Two is to be um, independent from parents, which for most kids is not a problem at all. Like, yeah, independent from parents. But third is to be dependent on God. And I like the way he put that because we want to raise kids who develop that dependence. But that never works by pushing it and forcing it. It rather works for all of us by kind of leaning, pulling people into it. So in other words, are they seeing that modeled in my life and in my wife's life and in our family life? So how, how do you react to that? That continual invitation um, to come to me, the, the, the gracious offer of being, uh, being open to, to showing our kids, uh, you know, what a life full of sin, forgiveness, and grace looks like. And so maybe there is a time, I mean, there's a time to speak, and then there, maybe there's just a time to be still and to wait. I, I don't think we can force it. Which is, of course, as a parent, when you want to fix it. that, very, very Were difficult. they asking, yeah. though, what do you do when your child's disillusioned with church? It's with church? Yeah. Or the follow-up to that was, okay, when I bring up things about God or things about faith, then makes them 
the first part I made up because I didn't know what the question oh, was. Okay, okay. <laughs> but you know, but if I'm bringing up things of the faith, or or talking about a scriptural response to things, and the child responds with anger because they just don't want to hear it, which I think, you know, I think you guys have addressed. This would be the point when I'm like trying to I read. Think, and well, that's come okay. Up with you read. Really well, fast. I I think it's important, <laughs> and we're all guilty of this that we're not being hypocritical as parents. We are, if we're going to take those times in the morning, in the evening, and you know, when they're eating and all the, you know, not to minimize that, whatever they were, yes, sorry, those great four times. If we're gonna do that, then we need to make sure in between that the kids are like, oh wait, you told me not to do this, but I just saw you lie on the phone to somebody. So we have to make sure, which is I go back to Psalm 139, we have to make sure that when we are speaking of God, and they don't want to hear it, that they're not saying, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say, but I saw what you did last night. We really have, integrity is, is, is huge for, for teenagers as they're starting to adopt it to themselves, and it's not my parents' faith, it's my faith, and if they see that our walk is matched our talk, it's going to go a whole lot easier. Well, to follow up to that, when you're, let's say I'm watching a family where that's happening, whether or not I'm a parent myself, What's my best way to support? I can sit there, I can watch your pain, I actually know a little bit about what that feels like. But what's, let's say I'm somebody who's never parented and I'm watching what you're going through. What's my best way to walk with you to support you? Or to support the child? I think, yeah, I, I, as long as you don't come to me and say God told me to, because I run from that. But if I'm acting in, in any way as a parent, I think it's all of our responsibility. If I'm acting in a way that isn't the ideal, moving towards the ideal, and this, the dysfunction of sin is evident, I think we owe it to each other to come to each other and say, hey, I just, this is what I saw. Not in a pride way, and not in a God just spoke to me, and now I'm going to be his deliverer. But, but we need each other. We're all in this together. And we, you know, we can't always see our blind spots. And so I would say that, you know, I, I would speak to that part of it, is that we have to create a culture where we can come alongside each other and help each other through the process because we're all going to make mistakes. I'm not going to always do it right, and I need you and you and everybody else to walk with that journey with me and help me. Is that, that's kind of part of it. Well, and I think would it be safe to say, too, that there does get to be a stage with our children where it sort of takes a village, you know, especially as they get older. I know that for, for us for ourselves, for all three of our children. We're so grateful for the mentors who walked into their lives at really important times because sometimes the mentors, you know, sometimes I can say to your child the very same thing that you've said and they say, wow, that's revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Even it's great to be able to have relations with other adults. You can say, hey, can you speak this truth into my child's life yeah. for me, you know, because they're not going to hear what I have to say, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, as we said last week, we can't hit all the questions in one morning because y'all want to get to lunch sometime, right? Mm-hmm. So some of these we may pass on to the, to the guys for following weeks or pick them up in, in uh, the next couple weeks' um, questions. I think, um, yeah, I think this next one is like a, another seven-minute question. So I think we'll go ahead and wind it down and save that one for another day. Thank you. Good. Um, thank you, Shirley, for moderating. Thank you guys for participating. We may save some of those questions for later on. Um, Chuck, thanks for the message this morning, bringing that, and um, appreciate that, appreciate you. So keep, keep the questions coming, keep the dialogue coming. Uh, let me pray for us as we wrap this up here this morning. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here this morning, to be engaging, dialoguing, talking about what um, it looks like when we get into the real stuff of life and the kind of the mess of sin and and uh, and all that comes along with that and and our choices and various opportunities. I pray for the young men, the young women who have yet to be married, yet to um, maybe even be dating and maybe who are married and don't have kids yet or what have you. I pray that you'd give them vision for what can be within their families, what their roles can be as husbands, fathers, um, wives, mothers, and, uh, and parents of, of future um, generations who will carry on the faith in a way that they can only imagine. For those who are kind of on the other side who have come through that and may be living with a little bit of regret, we pray for courage uh, and strength for them to engage and plug in now with their families and with um, their church family to continue to make an impact for you. So we thank you that you are never done with us, that there's no story that cannot be redeemed, and that there is always a place for hope within the family and the faith of God. So we thank you for that, and we love you in Jesus' name.